Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Uh, my name is Ali. Um, welcome if you're joining us online as well. Great to have you guys with us too. And I am so glad to be here kicking off this new series, When the Spirit Comes. And we're going to spend the next few weeks, obviously not from now for the next few weeks, this is just like 20 minutes or so. But over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at the person and the character of the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he does, and how we might get to know him. So, If you have been tracking with us over the last few weeks, you'll remember our Above and Beyond series. And we were encouraged by God to think about pressing in to new territories, new lands, potentially new buildings. And we landed on this verse from Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, where Moses is speaking to God. And Moses says this to God. He says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. So that was great. But what does God's presence look like? How will we know if God's presence is with us? What will it look like? What does that mean for us today? I'd like you just to to close your eyes just for a second. I know that always makes people a bit nervous. Just for a second, online too. Close your eyes and picture God. Picture God. God. What does he look like? What's the image that you've got coming to mind? What's formed that impression for you? Okay, you can open your eyes. I don't want anyone nodding off now, just checking. Uh, And how about when you pray? How do you start your prayers? Do you start with Heavenly Father or do you start with Dear Jesus? What does that look like when you start your prayers? Because it can be really telling. We do these things sometimes without thinking, but we suddenly realize this is going to give us a bit of an insight to our theology, our approach to who God is. Now, there's an ancient Jewish story. It's not in the scriptures, but it's a story that the rabbis used to tell, and it's about Abraham. We know Abraham, but this is Abraham as a teenager and his father, Terah. Now, Terah was an idol manufacturer. He had an idol shop that Abraham worked in, but Abraham was not keen on the idols. So one day when Terah went away on business, Abraham saw his chance. He took a massive stick and he smashed all of the idols to pieces apart from one idol. There was one idol left and Abraham took the stick that he'd smashed the other idols with and he put it in the hands of that remaining idol. And when Terah came home, as you can imagine, he was, oh my goodness, what has happened to the shop? What's happened to all the idols? And Abraham said, well, you won't believe this. But this morning when you went away, a woman came in and she brought an offering for the idols. And when the idols saw it, they started fighting over who was going to get the offering first. And this argument turned into an enormous fight. And that one took the big stick and he smashed all the others to pieces. And you can see him there with the stick. And Terah went, mm-hmm. <laughs> As excuses go, it's definitely better than the dog ate my homework. So I'll just give Abraham that. But of course, Terah responded by just saying, don't be ridiculous. We made those idols. You know, they don't have any knowledge. They don't know what they can do. They can't do anything. And Abraham, of course, said, oh, so you know that we made them, that they don't have any knowledge, they can't do anything, they're not real, and yet you worship them. You worship them. 
There's nothing more important than knowing who you are worshipping. And of course, the Christian faith talks about God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we know that in the Bible, God the Father is revealed through the pages of the Old Testament. And we know that God the Son, Jesus, is revealed through the pages of the New Testament. And we know that the Father is in heaven because Jesus taught us to pray our Father in heaven. And we know that after Jesus' resurrection, he was returned to the right hand of the Father in heaven. But where does the Spirit fit in? What does that look like? So we're going to jump straight into our scripture, which is in the Gospel of John. It's chapter 14. We're looking at verses 12 to 17 and then just 25 to 26. And this is Jesus' words about who the Holy Spirit is. It's Jesus introducing the Spirit to his disciples. And it says this, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. We have got it not on that screen. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. All this I've spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit to his disciples, and he promises them an encounter with this Spirit. And we're going to come back to that passage in a moment. But those are the two things I'd love us to hold together as we press into this. The scripture about the Spirit and the encounter, because those two things are both absolutely crucial when we're looking at the Spirit. Now, I've been involved in churches and in church leadership for over 20 years now. And I've come to realize that being a Christian without being filled with the Spirit is a little bit like this. Picture the scene. You've been invited to an amazing restaurant. It is the talk of the town. And you go along to this restaurant through the doors. The decor is really cool. The place is electric. The waiters welcome you in with big smiles on their faces. And you sit down at this beautifully decorated table and you open the menu. Everything on there is mouth-watering. You are desperately salivating over what you can read on the menu. And then you close the menu, put it down, nod a thank you to the waiters, and walk out. You know, John Wimber, who was the founder of the Vineyard Church movement, voiced this frustration when he once asked a church leader, when do we get to do the stuff? And they went, what stuff? The stuff in the book. When do we get to actually do it? When do we get to do it? Because a Christian life without the Spirit is deeply unsatisfying. It's deeply frustrating and potentially even deeply dangerous. You know, in Psalm 34, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It doesn't say imagine. Sit and imagine that the Lord's good. It says taste and see that the Lord is good. 
You know, it's really important that we know about this experience of the Spirit. I was uh, fortunate enough to grow up in a a Christian home. My parents are members of Gas Street. Some of you probably know them. Uh, But the church we grew up in, it was a great church. We learned lots about faith and discipleship and the Bible stories. But the one thing it didn't really teach about was the Holy Spirit. So we talked about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we were almost entirely focused on God the Father and God the Son, And when I was um, about eight years old, um, I was quite a shy child. I'm an only child. I know that explains a lot of things. Uh, (laughs) But I was invited along to an old school tent mission by some family friends of ours. And uh, we went along to this this big old tent filled with people and there was a visiting speaker. And uh, at the end of his talk, he gave an altar call. He invited people to come forward. And basically, no one responded. But I had what I can only describe as a physical sensation of being almost lifted up out of my seat and kind of pushed forward. And I turned to my little friend who was with me and went, come on, let's go up to the front. And of course, she looked at me with wide eyes. Are you out of your mind? But I couldn't do anything about it. It was like I was kind of being propelled down the aisle to the front. And um, I ended up being prayed for by a nun who started crying over me, which is a slightly unsettling experience, I have to say, as an eight-year-old. But it was beautiful as well. But the thing was, nobody explained it to me. Nobody told me about the Holy Spirit. Nobody said what was going on. So I kind of just tucked it away in my mind as a slightly unusual childhood experience and carried on. If we fast forward a few years, I went off to uni, and by this point, my faith was very much on the back burner. You describe it as, you know, the pilot light in your boiler. It was kind of, kind of burning there a little bit, but it wasn't going to give any heat or hot water to anything at all. But some friends invited me along to church, and they invited me along to an alpha course. And uh, like many of you have done, I went on this uh, Holy Spirit weekend away. And we were at a church in London at the time, so that the hotel that we went to was in Worthing by the sea. It was complete with swirly carpets and karaoke. It was a beautiful experience. And uh, on one of the sessions, the leaders invited the Holy Spirit to come. And uh, basically, I, I stood there, and all around me, all sorts of things started happening. People started crying. Lots of people fell on the floor. There were prophetic words being given that were really accurate because you could see people responding to them. All of this stuff started happening. It was incredible. And I kind of panicked. I panicked. I ran out of the room and I ran down to the seafront and I sat there going, this is not the God that I've been taught about. I don't understand. God is nice and neat and in order and common sense. And he just tells us to be nice to each other. And that is really it. You know, you can tell I hadn't read my Bible for a little while. But fortunately, like on any Alpha course, there were some great leaders there, really kind people who came and found me and spoke to me, and and I started chatting to some of the other people who I'd seen having these experiences, and they told me what had been going on and what it felt like and what, what had happened for them and why it was significant. And then I made the best decision of my life, and I went back for the second session. I went back for the next session. And in that session and over the coming weeks, I had these beautiful experiences of the Holy Spirit. And for me, everything changed. I can only describe it as my faith going from black and white to color. 
It was like everything came alive for me. I could understand suddenly why faith actually mattered to my life. I could have my identity shaped. I could see why it was important for my purpose. I could access the healing from God. You know, I was, got really hungry to read the Bible. I really wanted to read the Bible. And, and I wanted to sign up for everything at church. So I remember going to something 10 nights in a row at one point. It didn't matter what it was. It might be a worship night or Hebrew lessons. Who cares? I just want to be in the presence of God. For me, it was like this pilot light had lit up the boiler again, and my life was on fire. It was this fresh fire. And I know lots of us here will have had a similar experience, whether it's at Gastry or somewhere else, and you will understand what I'm talking about. But it might be that you haven't experienced that. It might be that you haven't experienced that for a while. And a bit later on, we are going to pray for that fresh fire of the Spirit to come again, because I think we're going to need it. So for me, that was my experience of the Spirit. But what about the Bible? What does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? Well, we've just celebrated last Sunday the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ at Easter. And, you know, we look at a lot of Jesus' ministry, the miracles, the work that he did. But can you tell me how many miracles or works of power Jesus did before his baptism, before he was filled with his Spirit? Do you know how many? None. None. Not a single one. For about 30 years, Jesus lived. He knew who he was. He knew who was the Son of God, but he didn't do any works of power until that moment at his baptism when the Spirit came on him like a dove. He was filled with the Spirit, and from that moment on, his ministry began. And of course, he then, after his resurrection, comes to speak to his disciples. Uh, He speaks to them, and what does he say to them? Does he say, come on then, out you go. Go on, go and tell people about me. No. He says, wait, wait. Wait until the Spirit has come upon you. It says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Wait until you receive the power, and then you can become my witnesses. You know, I'd really like an electric car. I'm just putting that out there, Nick. Just thought I'd drop that in. (laughs) We do have a car, but the truth is, mostly my experience is taking it into the garage and the mechanic kind of standing there, shaking his head. Why do they always shake their head? (sighs) That'll cost you. It's going to cost you. What's that all about? So I would like an electric car. Uh, The thing about electric cars that I do know is that they have to be plugged in. They have to be plugged into the charge overnight or mid-journey, because if they're not plugged into the charge, they will not work. They ain't going to go anywhere, or they're going to run out halfway through the journey. Your car has to be charged And this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. You need to be filled with this power or you are not going anywhere. And we know just a few days after Jesus said this to his disciples, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit was poured out in a spectacular way on about 120 people who were gathered. It was an amazing time and they were totally transformed and the church was born. And after that, we read in the book of Acts what happened as these disciples started uh, this new church and they went out there. If you've never read the book of Acts, when there's another rainy afternoon, sit down, just read all the way through it. It's like one adventure after another. It's amazing. And I've read it again this week and I pulled out just 12 little statements from the book of Acts. I could have chosen tons more, but I want you to hear this in the book of Acts. 
They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with boldness. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. We are witnesses to these things and so is the Holy Spirit. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. They prayed for them that they might be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. One of them named Agabus stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. Then the Spirit said to Philip, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied, compelled by the Spirit. It goes on and on and on. Everything that they do is in the power of this fresh fire from the Holy Spirit. And that's just one little book in the New Testament. You know, if Jesus needed the Spirit at his baptism, And if the disciples needed the Spirit at Pentecost, and if the early church operated entirely through the power of the Holy Spirit, then how much more are you and I going to need to know and be filled with the Holy Spirit? But we come back again to it. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? You might have heard him called the Holy Ghost, but he's not a like white-sheeted floaty thing. It's not a kind of tingly feeling or a goosebumpy feeling. There's a theological college student who once said to his professor, God the Father makes perfectly good sense to me, and God the Son I can quite understand, but the Holy Spirit is a grey oblong blur. I don't know. Does the Spirit seem like a grey oblong blur to you? Well, we know, of course, that God is, by his nature, mystery to us. He's beyond our human understanding. And that's a really good thing, because you and I could kind of understand God. We would be making this little, small God that we could control. Then we're back to Abraham and his idols. It's worth nothing whatsoever. God is mystery. He's beyond our understanding. But you see, God the Father and God the Son, we can understand a bit better because we have an idea of families. We know what a father and a son look like, so we can kind of grasp that a little bit more. But the thing is with the Holy Spirit, we're often given these non-personal descriptors. So we hear the Spirit described as a violent wind or as a dove or living water or tongues of fire. You know, they're not human descriptors. It's quite hard to grasp what is going on, who we're talking about. But they're not a mistake. These images are not a mistake. Now, I'd just love to picture now, um, after this service, you're all invited to an amazing roast lunch. Round Nick's, Nick's cooked it. Round to ours for a roast lunch. And you walk through the door. And just as you walk through the door, your nostrils are filled with this amazing scent of roast chicken roast beef, whatever your roast meat of choice is, maybe uh, not roast if you're a vegan, I don't know, Yorkshire pudding, gravy, the works, you can smell this incredible meal cooking. Can you see it? No, because it's in the kitchen, it's in the oven, you can't see it, but you know it is there. You can sense it. It's like your senses have caught this glimpse of what's to come, of what is going on. And in the same way, these images of the Holy Spirit give us a glimpse with our senses of what is to come. They give us an idea of his attributes and his actions. So in the same way, you might describe Jesus, and we sang about him like this today, as the Lamb of God or the Lion of Judah. But I'm pretty sure you don't actually think he's a four-footed animal. If you do, you need to chat with me afterwards. 
But we don't think that. It just gives us an idea of his humility and his power. It's a, a descriptor of him. And in the same way, these non-personal descriptors of the Holy Spirit, they just give us an idea. They give us a human sense of something we can't make human sense of. But the violent wind at Pentecost gives us an idea of the power and the force behind the Holy Spirit. The tongues of fire tell us of his purifying and burning power. The dove is his gentleness and humility. You know, they give us this sort of glimpse. Our senses can understand something of who he is and what he does. But alongside these non-personal descriptors of the Spirit, we also know that he has very human personal traits as well. Here's just a little list on the screen. So he teaches you things. He tells the truth. He distributes spiritual gifts. He guides. He convinces. He prays for you. He commands. He gives us joy. So we've got these actions that we understand as human. You know, they're really good news. They describe an amazing human. In fact, they sound a little bit like Jesus, like Jesus. You know, sometimes I've thought to myself, and I expect you've done this too, oh, it'd be so much easier if Jesus was here, or if I lived in Jesus' time. I could have just asked him directly, what do you think about this? Or I could have seen him doing a healing, or I could have asked him just to walk through that situation with me. But the good news is, because of the passage we read earlier, you can. Because if we go back to the passage we looked at, the words that Jesus uses about the Holy Spirit are interesting. In the Greek, the original language, it says alos parakletos. Alos parakletos. It means another advocate. And even in this word another, there's something interesting. If I asked, don't actually do this, Johnny, but if I asked you to lift up your chair and carry it over to Trevine, are you listening? Good. And you swapped your chairs. If you switched chairs with one another, you would be swapping one chair for another, which is exactly the same. It's the same substance. It looks the same. They're both chairs, but they are exactly the same. And this is the meaning of that word, alos. It's another, but of exactly the same kind. So Jesus is saying, this Holy Spirit, he's the same as me. He's the same substance as me. And then how about this word, advocate? Well, I love a good John Grisham novel, John Grisham film. Anyone else up for a bit of a John Grisham? Yes, really good stories. They are almost always about a young lawyer who stands alongside the victim of the story and against some kind of huge multinational firm of greed and corruption. And the young lawyer wins out. He steps into the danger zone and he wins out. They're brilliant stories. Well, this word advocate could definitely be a John Grisham film, The Advocate, because that is who the Holy Spirit is. It's got a kind of sense of the legal profession, actually. This Holy Spirit champions us and stands up for us and speaks for us. He is alongside us. But there are some other meanings to the word as well. And there's a little list here. The comforter, the counselor, the helper, the intercessor, the strengthener. If you think back over your last week, I know like your last month, have you had any moments where you've thought, I could really do with a counsellor to talk this through with me? Have you had a moment where you thought, I need a, counsel, a comforter to put his arms around me? I just need that comfort in this situation. Have you thought, I need a strengthener, I need someone to help me just get up and keep going because I don't know how to do it myself. Well, this is the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is his promise over your life that you don't need to do this alone. 
You don't need to do this alone. You have an advocate, one who is standing alongside you, one who is the same substance as Jesus. He is with you. You know, your healing, your wholeness, your redemption, your purpose, your hope, your abundant life, it has been paid for already because Jesus did that on the cross. We celebrated it last Sunday. But how do we experience the lived reality of that in our everyday lives? Well, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of this parakletos, this advocate who is alongside us, through being filled again and again with a fresh fire of the Holy Spirit. And you know, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In fact, not just in our lives, but all the way through history. Because you see, in Genesis 1, the Spirit was hovering over the water right at the moment of creation. And in fact, the Spirit rested on the leaders and the prophets in the early days, on Samuel and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Saul and Gideon and Joshua. And in Joel, we hear that the Spirit is not just for a chosen few, but the Spirit will be poured out on everyone, on everyone. And in Isaiah, he prophesies the coming of Jesus, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. You know, we know that the Spirit was present at Jesus' conception. We know he was there at his baptism. We know he told his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit. And we come right to the end of the story in Revelation, and it is the Spirit and the bride who say, come. You know, the Spirit is woven through every single page of our Bible, through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, and how about the Now Testament? How about the Now Testament? Because yes, we lean on the authority of the Scriptures, but Jesus tells us that when the power is sent on us, that we will be the witnesses. Your life is a witness to Jesus. Your life means something. Your life is to tell his story, not just for yourself, but for the community around you. We need people to know about God's love, about the presence of Jesus through the power of the Spirit, and you too are going to be a testament to that as you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, if today you want to experience the love of Jesus, if you want the Scriptures to come alive for you, if you want to hear God's voice clearly, if you want to be guided in your decisions and your life choices, if you want to be that witness to Jesus, then you need the fresh fire of the Spirit today. So there's just three quick things I'd love to encourage us to do this week. So number one, be intentional. Be intentional. Every day when you wake up, say, I am going to walk with the Holy Spirit, the advocate, by my side. I'm not doing this on my own. I'm going to walk with him intentionally. Number two, be filled. And the sense of the word in the text is to continually be filled. Keep being filled. This is not just like a one-off. This is a keep being filled. So be filled. And number three, be alert. Be alert to the Spirit in you and around you working through you. Keep your eyes open this week. So be intentional, be filled, and be alert, because you don't want to be doing this without the advocate. That's why we're going to spend these next few weeks together looking at the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, hearing the voice of the Spirit, the creativity of the Spirit in our lives. There's so much for us to delve into, and you do not want to miss a week of this, because it is crucial for us as individuals and as a church family at Gas Street. Um, 
Nick and I, over the years, have done quite a lot of travelling together. And a little while ago, Nick was travelling with a friend of ours called Pat. And Pat is an American, and uh, he's a, an American football-playing American. So he's very tall, very big and strong, and he's quite wealthy. He looks impressive and big, and frankly, Nick and I don't. Uh, but <laughs> Nick, <laughs> Nick was travelling back from the States one time alongside Pat, uh, and Nick and Pat went up to the checkout desk at the airport, and uh, the lady kind of looked at Pat and looked at Nick. She looked at Pat again, and she upgraded their tickets on the spot. And then, in their excitement, they walked past her, and just as Nick walked past, the lady leant over, just quietly said to him, sure makes a difference who you travel with. <laughs> you know, it makes a difference who we travel with. You travelling with the advocate, or are you trying to do it on your own? Can I advise you welcome the advocate into your life, into your heart, into your community, into your every day? All we have to do is ask. It says in Luke 11, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You ask, he will be here. It's not based on your feelings, not based on earning it. You ask and the Spirit will come. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website, gastreet.org or follow us on Instagram at Gastreet Church.